0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, Councillor Terry Whitehead clarifies what's going on with his LRT listening tour. Also, Hamilton Police Chief Eric Gert came in for the Chiefs Town Hall to answer your questions and all your comments about policing in this area. The Bill Kelly podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday on the program, of course, we discussed Councillor Terry Whitehead and his announced listening tour about light rail transit. And uh, you heard some uh, rather... Well, a number of people, actually, including Ryan McGreal and others, that were rather concerned about this and say, well, what the heck is this all about? So uh, we wanted to bring the Councillor in to give us uh, his perspective on this. And uh, to that point, uh, Terry Whitehead, welcome back to the program. Good to have you here
1: today. Great to be here, Mary uh, uh, Bill, and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and all your listeners a Merry Christmas. Well, and each and every one
0: of the guys at City Council, too. It's an exciting time, obviously, and uh, we knew that light rail transit was not going to go away as a major issue, and uh, I'm not so sure if it's at the top of the list for this new City Council. But you've announced that you're going on a listening tour. Maybe first of all, let's let's say, set a foundation here.
1: Why are you doing this? Well, I, I actually w- I want to start off by uh, uh, setting a record straight because I did listen to the radio station yesterday and heard uh, uh, Ryan McGrill uh, talk about uh, Council Terry Whitehead's engagement. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be believed on anything you say, you have to be credi- credible all the way through. So just for the listeners, uh, and I certainly my constituents know this, that I host uh, not only uh, on Saturdays, uh, I set up a, a, a booth at West Cuff Mall, meet many constituents, but I have over 100 community meetings a year. I have uh, issue-oriented meetings. I have a virtual town hall. And uh, proof of, of the engagement is the fact that uh, we've had consistently in Ward 8 and Ward 14 one of the highest turnouts in every municipal election, uh, much higher than even the, 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 the areas that Ryan McGrill uh, talks about engagement. So when you look at those metrics, certainly it's a bit misleading to suggest that uh, uh, I do not engage my community. I get elected uh, with pretty good numbers every election, and I host many, many meetings to ensure that there's an engagement and an understanding of issues uh, as they come forward. So I want to make sure I set that record straight, and it's unfortunate that uh, Ryan would uh, represent it that way and it would suggest that if he's prepared to misrepresent that, then what else was he prepared to okay, rep- Well I'm not so
0: sure that's what he was, they, I, I didn't really take it into that, but let's, I want to move on from that, because that's not the issue right now. Uh, you've been on council for a long time and I think the people that know you and know the area know that, uh, that you're engaged in the community, but let's talk about why you're doing this listening tour. What's this all about?
1: <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I think um, I have, uh, you had the Auditor General come out, and, and reaffirm what I said over a year ago in regards to the flawed process and how we arrived at the decision uh, for LRT in the in yeah. lower city. So that's one piece. The second piece is uh, I have uh, uh, read a, uh, a plethora of studies. I've looked at numbers, whether it's the ridership at 444 peak car, peak direction, and it should be 2,000. We're not going to have 1,500 by 2031 the uh, uh, economic uplift, looked at studies. So I've done all that, and I've come to formulate uh, my position and certainly through consultation with my community. But yet the establishment is on side, Bill. And it's trying. I'm trying to understand, is there something I'm missing in this picture? Because the numbers aren't adding uh, to saying it's a goal, yet the establishment says it we should go. So I am going around to try and under- better understand Perhaps I'm missing something on this debate, and, uh, and that's why I've embarked on this tour. For what purpose, though? To,
0: are you willing to change your mind, or have you, have you decided this is the way I'm going to be, and that, that's in concrete right now? If, that, if that's the case, then why even
1: bother? Well, I believe that uh, uh, no uh, leader should draw a line in the sand, and they should take in all information, help inform their decisions. And I think that uh, uh, clearly we have a divide in this community. It's, it's clear that the majority of the community is against the LRT based on many polls, uh but but what is clear to me is that the established like McMaster University, spectator Uh, Chamber of Commerce, uh, Mall College, and many others have come on side to support it. So I'm meeting with these organizations and and having that uh, uh, very uh, uh, robust discussion to better understand uh, what I am missing in the picture that drove them to support the LRT.
0: But it's the same information. I mean, you say you've studied this thing thoroughly. So have they. So have I. So have a lot of other people. I draw the parallel, Terry, to the the Expressway debate, and I don't want to open that up again. But uh, again... (laughs) Not everybody's going to agree on this. I mean, when I sat on city council, and and that debate was still going on, it was much more about the Red Hill at that stage, obviously, uh, that extension of it. Uh, I had council colleagues that read the same reports I did and said, no, I don't think we should do it. And I said, well, I think we should. Well, never the twain shall meet. I'm not going to try to convince them. They made up their own mind. So why are you doing this now? Are you are you going to try to switch their minds? Are you going to try to change no, your mind?
1: No. So the purpose of this this tour is not to convince them. Uh, I, th- I think I've been pretty profound in my ar- uh, d- discussions and arguments in respect to the concerns around the LRT. Uh, the the question really is uh, for very established, reputable organizations to come on side and support it. Uh, it would suggest that there's another piece, and I and I can tell you early in these discussions. Uh, I am finding a different dynamic. Some believe that you shouldn't be looking at a 10-, 15-, 20-year horizon, but in fact you should be looking at a 50-year horizon. I mean, that's something I never considered in the context of this, uh, this discussion debate. Uh, and other organizations indicate this is a, a real image uh, builder for the community, and, and, and it would suggest that uh, we're city that have arrived, and it's about progression. So there are different arguments I, pu- I haven't put a lot of weight to in the context of my own position. So I, I, I am learning things through these discussions. Yeah, I, I know. And
0: you, you mentioned that one characterization that this is just kind of like a little shiny toy that's been kind of kind of neat that shows that, hey, we're a big grown-up city right now. I, does that mean you're totally dismissive of the economic arguments and the economic development possibilities here or probabilities that some people would have it?
1: Uh, well, you talk about the ones that be put forward by the uh, pro LRTV. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, the reality is is that the uh, they, they buck uh, completely against ev- every study that I've ever read. Uh, you know, our own uh, uh, Canadian Urban Institute did a study here in the city of Hamilton on the LRT system and uplift uh, post uh, uh, buildout. And to be
0: fair, they do not buck every report that's been written. They report the ones that you've decided that you want to embrace. There are studies that indicate that there is economic uplift to this. No,
1: yeah. actually, actually, I, I can tell you right now, I challenge the spectator, and I've asked anyone to bring one report that would suggest that LRT results in economic uplift. I haven't found one in either, uh, anyone that I've challenged to do that. But we do have a Canadian Urban Earth Institute right in our backyard that indicated that we're only looking at a 1% uh, uh, tax assessment growth, and I don't know if that's tax assessment growth within that line or within the city, which is a, a significantly different number, but they also included Scott Park, which is not a tax-generating uh, property. So that is not a big number relative to an economic uplift uh, for the LRT. Yeah,
0: and, and I don't want this to devolve into a debatable LRT, because obviously you've got your thoughts on this, and I've got mine, but there were dozens and dozens of reports about the Red Hill that said there was not going to be any economic benefit to it, too, and that was obviously disproven. So... Uh, all very, you have right now is conjecture that it's not going to happen. No, there is nothing definitive. this is not a black and white issue.
1: No, not at all and 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 you know uh, what I'm learning and this listening to her to date, is sometimes opportunity strikes you and you've got to grab that opportunity. And even if there's a little pain and you're, p- and you're shifting that, that cost to a, a, a generation prematurely, it still might be the right thing based on a 50-year horizon. So I am hearing a different arguments uh, to deal and address some of the uh, concerns I've had in respect to all the research and studies that I've, I've uh, embarked on.
0: Who have you talked to so far?
1: Uh, I just finished with uh, The Spectator yesterday. I've uh, had conversations with uh, McMaster University. Uh, I've, I've had discussions with uh, just pro-LRT people uh, in, the, in the lower city, and I'm moving forward with uh, Keeman Lunas uh, with Chamber of Commerce. I'm moving forward with uh, Ron McCurley at the uh, Mohawk College th- and, and Joe Masnally at Luna. So I am truly making t- an effort to uh, clearly understand, based on what I know and what they know, if there's something uh, that has some weight to it that I should be uh, uh, considering to help inform a decision on, on a go-forward basis. And has there been so far? Uh, I would say that uh, I have to really now weigh those things. I mean, the fact that you're now looking at uh, it's okay uh, with the opportunity being here now to, 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 to uh, p- shift those dollars and, 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 and tax increases to the taxpayer – uh, is an okay thing when you're looking over a 50-year horizon because at some point you will have the ridership and you will have the densities uh, to drive an LRT system. So I haven't looked at a 50-year horizon. Uh, when you talk about uh, the image piece, well, I mean, I don't know if a billion dollars for an image piece is the best uh, e- expenditure, so I'm not going to put a lot of it. I don't know that. anybody
0: who's characterized
1: that as an image piece.
0: There, they, that may be a side benefit, but I don't think anybody who said, I'm supportive of the project because it's going to make us look cool. That, that's, that's not even an argument. I, so let's let's set that one aside. Let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts here. Have you learned anything now that has swayed your opinion or said, oh, maybe, oh, gosh, I never thought of that?
1: Well, I, I just I think I just indicated the 50-year horizon and, uh, and here and now and, and, so you, and, 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 and it, grab the opportunity is something I'm going to now, I mean, I, to suggest that it's completely changed my mind. No, what it has done is give me something to think about. And I still got a lot more people to talk to uh, in respect to uh, – Uh, uh, people supporting the LRT and hearing what their arguments are. So there's still a way to go. Uh, But But one
0: of the arguments that you've talked about a number of times, though, is, as you said, and I think you just mentioned it again this morning, uh, presently we don't have the ridership. And and you're suggesting at some future point we are going to. I mean, the city is growing, we know that, and the transportation needs and transit needs are growing. Are you confident that uh, seven, ten years from now, when all of a sudden we do have that ridership that we can knock on the province's door and say, hey, can we have a billion dollars to build this thing now?
1: Well, I think that's the point about So, or do you do? Or do
0: you, yeah, then and now, because if you say no now and bypass this, what are the chances this is ever going to happen again? Well,
1: yeah, but you're, you're 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 having this. We're having this conversation in a vacuum. Uh, we still don't know if, for example, there's an alternative to spend the billion dollars, and and obviously. I would think there's greater value uh, to invest and, and expedite our transit system uh, for the greater population of Hamilton and make it one of the most robust transit systems in the city to meet the needs of uh, a far greater population than one uh, and you, along and you one don't, geographic you don't corridor. And
0: you don't see LRT in that future
1: at all? Well, LRTs, all, well, every uh, uh, planner on, on transit will tell you that you build your ridership. You I know build, that. I know the you, argument. You, you build the feeder systems, and that's what I'm talking about. I understand that. I get that, okay? But what I'm saying is, do you see LRT in the
0: future, anytime in the future for this city well, if as you, a viable part of
1: our transit system? I, I believe that as we move forward, LRT is certainly a consideration for our future. Absolutely.
0: All right. So now you have an opportunity to build it. Uh, you might
1: not in the future. Why not take that opportunity now while that money's sitting on the table? Well, that's the, that's part of the discussion. I mean, you're now debating me on whether or not that should be weighted in this discussion. I'm telling you that I've been open-minded, but right now, the, if, if you do that, uh, there is no suggestion in the next ten years you're going to have the ridership. In fact, uh, our own projections are showing 1,500 peak car peak direction by 2031. So what that means is you're going to have a significant gap in ridership versus cost, and that cost is going to be shifted to the taxpayers of this community. So that's the other piece I have to consider. Uh as opposed to what Plan B you might have in mind. I mean, is it bus rapid transit? Is that
0: what you're looking at? If we, if this doesn't happen, I and mean, let's just hypothetically say council decides or the province <coughs> decides or whatever the case might be, now you're not getting the money for LRT. That's not going to happen. Where do we go? What's, is, is, is BRT the the? Alternative? Oh, I, I think
1: BRT. And you know, I I I, I talked to uh, General Shewitz, is an economic a tra- uh, transportation economist for the federal treasury. That's done many studies on economic uplift. And the first thing she said is, "Why are you doing LRT? Uh, BRT is more dynamic and and." and, and Whatever uplift there is, uh, you will generate this pretty well the same thing with BRT. So uh, I, I really believe that, and BRT is more dynamic. So I think that uh, uh, that is certainly a consideration moving forward if you're looking at a robust system uh, and getting the best value for tax dollars being spent.
0: Look, this yeah, but listen, we tried a, a pilot project a few years ago. It was one dedicated bus line because BRT has to have dedicated bus lines or it just doesn't work. Absolutely. All right. City Council at the time squirmed and got out of that. I mean, as soon as you started getting some phone calls saying, we're being put out by this, you guys backed off. I don't know if you got the courage to do either one of these right now.
1: Yeah, well, I uh, mean... I'm
0: not I, talking to you specifically. I'm talking to the council I, as I, a whole. And
1: I think that's a fair criticism uh, by uh, yourself, Bill. But uh, my problem was with that pilot program, that that laneway should have been extended to the the whole length of the uh, where the LRT is being proposed so you can truly uh, measure the success of the program. We end up doing a, a small lane uh, on a very short short uh, jaunt uh, that certainly wasn't and and in no way was going to demonstrate success or failure. And, uh, and then you had the pushback. So I think it was a failed project from the get go.
0: Yeah, the way they designed it. But right. I'm saying I don't know that the council has the courage to do this because there are going to be disruptions. You, you're never going to please everybody. You know that. You've yeah. been in politics long enough to know that.
1: Yeah, well, and I, I think right now, though, you are taking 30,000 cars off of uh, uh, King Street. Uh, we do not have a ring road. You're going to ship those 30,000 cars with two lanes taking out of uh, King Street. Uh, With BRT, you can do one lane on main, one uh, uh, lane on king. You're taking one lane out of each, which is a a, a lot less impact on the uh, transportation modes within those corridors. Okay, so it sounds to me as if you're you're not going to budge on
0: your position then.
1: No, well, no, I'm. I'm you're, you're asking me questions, and I'm just countering. No, I get uh, that. I know. Uh, I, I know the, B- with R- all, the argument. W- w- with all the things I got away. Yeah. But uh, I don't think anyone and, I, and any media that's ever observed me on council would ever suggest uh, that Terry draws a line on on the sand on any decision. As new information comes forward, I consider that the information. I think we it's incumbent upon us to uh, listen and not only talk. Uh, I think we need to uh, weigh all the the uh, information that we gather and make informed decisions, and I'm prepared to do that.
0: All right. There's a very important uh, vote coming up, uh, sooner than later, obviously, and it's going to have to do with funding, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it is now being characterized, i got about a minute left here, as the key debate as to whether or not this council is, uh, is going to move forward on this project or not. Forget about what the province may or may not do. Let this, the ball's in, in your lap right now. How's
1: that vote going to go? Uh, well, I think if the uh, O&M, the operating and maintenance agreement, is looking at a two and a half, three percent 3% increase on taxpayers, it's going to be a, p- a pretty significant debate around that table. If, in fact, it's coming in at something around 1.5%, maybe anything under 2%, I think uh, uh, without any other alternatives, I think it'll pass.
0: Interesting times coming up. Terry, thanks for coming in today. really appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having Ward me. Ward 14, Councillor Terry Whitehead. <laughs>
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Glad you're with us today. It's time for the Chiefs Town Hall. Hamilton Chief of Police uh, Eric Gert is with us here in studio. Welcome back. Good to have you here. Thank you, Bill. Good to be back. It is the season. It is for ride programs.
2: Yes, it is. Uh,
0: and and I know the ride program goes on all year long, but obviously things get ramped up
2: a little bit at Christmas time. We're all for festivity, just not behind the wheel when you've been uh, drinking or imbibing, and now potentially consuming. I was going to say cannabis this this, or otherwise. Yeah,
0: this is kind of different this year, isn't it? It's it is. because of obviously the, the legalization yep. of cannabis, uh, and and the officers are, are being obviously uh, trained and, and schooled in, in what to look for here. Uh, the statistics that we saw on this were rather troubling a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was a national report. But I'm sure the numbers are pretty much uh, germane to what's going on in this area. Uh, that uh, it seems as if uh, impaired driving seems to be on the increase. I don't know if they were just. I guess we're catching it more. But even the demographics were troubling. I think there's a perception in a lot of people's minds, Chief, that uh, these are just young kids and they're just having... uh, The the numbers I saw said the predominant number is actually in the 35 to 55 demographic.
2: That's correct. We've seen that trend for a number of years. Uh, So it's the old, uh, you know... Mad campaign has done a lot for be prepared, take alternate strategies, which we support entirely. Uh, But yeah, the 30 to 50 year olds are, we'll call them the recidivists, the ones who repeat the behavior. And uh, it's actually our highest area for impaired driving. Uh, The one thing, and I I just spoke with our traffic area, uh, we've gone up from 16 drug-impaired tests to 46 this year. Some of that is awareness around it, I think both publicly and our officers, and you just mentioned the training. We have trained our officers on standard field sobriety tests, and of course it encompasses uh, drug-impaired driving as well. That's a good thing in my view from an enforcement perspective. One, our training has been enhanced for our frontline we we're getting uh, additional tools to, to work on that. And, of course, our drug recognition uh, experts who go out in there and testify relative to drug impairment. So, again, it can be cannabis. It can be other prescription drugs. It can be a combination of drugs and alcohol. Uh, so, obviously, with the changes in the cannabis legislation, the impaired driving has been a real focus for the federal government.
0: I got an email the other day. Uh, that I, I want to throw at you right now because they anticipated you are going to be in in the next couple of days, and it has to do with the ride programs. Uh, and she was simply asking, I'll, I'll paraphrase this, how do you decide where
2: to put the set the programs up? Well, one of our strategies uh, across the service, we don't pick the same location all the time. Uh, it could be urban, it could be rural. So it could be the second concession west in Flamborough, where a lot of people say, well, I'll take the back roads. Well, we may be there. And we try not to just sit at one spot, at the usual spot, we'll call it all the time. We rotate them around. But also, you also want the visibility effect. So sometimes we'll pick a high-volume area because it's a deterrent effect, right? But again, we do this all year long. It's not just at the um, holiday seasons or May 2, 4 or any of that and we have focused on ride for a number of years in this jurisdiction and as I say we, we rotated around in fact we tracked the number of locations so our officers are moving locations so that doesn't just become oh yeah it'll just be at this location or that location and the residents who know that will then avoid them well we may find us on as I say the rural route that you didn't expect us to be on so some people would say well that's not very effective use of resources because you don't get as much traffic well, the point is it's the detection and the deterrence of impaired driving. That's why we want to be out there.
0: And, and how long would they actually be
2: there? Does that depend on the location? Depends on location, depends on calls for service, depends on availability of officers. Um, I've used to call them arrest lanes where in certain locations in the city, when you start checking licenses and things, people have warrants outstanding or they are driving vehicles that are unfit for the road. Uh, that requires quite a bit of resources. Um, so, you know, you have to vary it up and sometimes we will set up those. Uh, one of the things that changed in the legislation, particularly around um, uh, the level of impairment, is you don't need any particular reason to stop the vehicle for the purposes of ride lanes now and that's been established in the case law many years ago through the supreme court but they've extended it in terms of the law um you know we just have to uh, set up and purposes for detecting impaired driving how prescriptive are you in that? I mean, if
0: you've got a program that's going, okay guys, uh, do you just say, hey, go out to Westdale, or is there a specific street they need to be offering? So I'm just using that as an example.
2: Yeah, we'll look at things like high vehicle uh, location areas, like where, where you've had a lot of collisions, but we'll also look for areas that are very prominent. We may set up on main streets close to areas that have bars, but we don't t- target any specific bar. Uh, but if you're going to have impaired driving happening, let's say in Upper James, and you may pick that location. Uh, I've been involved years back on uh, the off-ramp for the QEW to uh, Centennial Parkway where we set up with Niagara, RCMP, uh, our own jurisdiction. We had a drug dog on the scene back then, and and the idea was uh, we're working as a concerted effort. So we'll also engage in that. Uh, We're at jurisdictional lines. Or we'll do a joint project with other services um, so it can be just about anywhere and that's the idea because it can happen just about anywhere what about the people that turn tail when they see you guys well we strategically locate so that hopefully uh, as you turn the corner there we are uh, where we can but obviously you don't want to signal it so you can see us from three miles away and people turn off uh, on other streets we'll also depending on the number of officers we have we will detail somebody to look after that. The last thing we want to get involved is a pursuit with an impaired driver. Mm-hmm. We can see the effects. So we try to be strategic so that, boop, oh, there you are, and now you're in the middle of the ride lane, as opposed to lots of notice.
0: Well yeah, and, and there are some spots around town, and I'm sure obviously the officers know that, where there's just maybe a little rise on the roads and you can't see it until you get there. The best one is just around the corner here. It's on Paradise uh, right uh, in Westdale. Exactly. you make Exactly. Uh, and I've seen that one a couple of times when I'm coming into work in the morning actually at 4.30. Uh, they've been there, over the last couple of years. I don't mean they've yeah. been there recently, but yeah. uh, it's you,
2: you don't know until you're right on top of it. Yeah, and you raise a really good point. Uh, we get a lot of feedback. Well, why would you set up in the morning? And, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I was a breath tech for years. Uh, the highest readings that I would get often were on a Monday morning. People have been consuming all night. They think, okay, I'll rest for a couple hours. But depending on the consumption, they may roll in at a 280 or 320 milligrams you know, per 100 milliliters of blood that's pretty high reading. And then when you do the conversion, they've still got the equivalent sometimes of a 2-4 in their system. And, well, I'm just saying. And uh, so, you know, the potential for, for uh, you know, a, a really bad outcome on a Monday morning is very high. So we deploy in the morning, we deploy in the afternoon, we deploy in the evening.
0: All right, lots of other things we want to talk to, but let me get some phone calls in here too. 905 645 nine star 9900 Email Kelly at 900chml.com. And on Twitter at CHML Bill Kelly. It's the Chief's Town Hall. Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gert, is uh, with us here in studio. Jen, you're first up this morning on the program. Welcome to the show.
3: Hey, thanks so much. Um, my question is about the ride lanes. Do you currently, or do you see in the future, having a plan to combat social media? Meaning, if somebody goes to a ride lane and they post, hey, there's a ride lane here, avoid. Do you have sort of a program that combats against that, or a are- Do
2: you see charges being added? yeah. It
3: of obstruction right
4: so yeah that's
2: been investigated before and uh, because we've looked at the criminality of that it's not substantial because really you're in a public place and they're just reporting the presence of officers so there is no obstruct police or obstruct justice charge that's been researched a couple times uh, but to my earlier point that's why we move around and move locations and then by the time it's tweeted out or somebody sees us we may in fact fold up as opposed to and I think your point Jen is if I sit at and as bill said uh, upper Paradise there, just past Macklin Road for four hours, well, it's kind of counterproductive because, to your point, those who are monitoring on the social media will know it. Uh, so, you know, in all three divisions we set up and also our support services section also goes out and does ride lanes as well. So, I think the strategy to combat that, because it's not a new phenomena, is by rotating those positions uh, frequently. But you raise a good point.
0: Thank okay. You. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Th- thanks so much for the call, Jim. Appreciate it. Uh, there was a time. I mean, I used to. Well, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, radio stations used to publish, actually, where they were going to be uh, speed traps. Yep. Now, there's going to be one on West 5th today. Well, phew, it kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it?
2: It does. And then, uh, well, and I mean, it's uh, it happens in the social media independently now. So, you know, we've had to evolve with the times as well. So, you know, again, some people would say, well, you get more impact if you stay on Main Street, you know, for four hours. But point is, everybody knows you're there. Um, and there is a deterrent effect, but you want to make sure that you're also detecting not just... It's not just a deterrent. We have had a number of arrests coming out of that. Uh, One of the great programs that I really like, started years ago, uh, Chief Robertson at the time, and I was tasked with looking at doing it. it, is Operation Lookout. And uh, they made that simple. It's a 911 call because it's life-threatening. And we've had lots of arrests. Really commend our citizens for doing that. We're not trying to get you engaged in a pursuit, but often if you just give us a license plate, sometimes these people are headed home. We can be waiting as they pull up in the driveway and make the arrests based on the citizens' observations and our own observations. You know, it's really a public safety initiative. We really do commend uh, those who take the time to call. Often, if you're sitting behind, you know, at the the, uh, fast food place and you see what's going on, give us a call. Uh, they're fairly easy to make the arrest, and it's in a safe manner. We're not getting into high-speed pursuits or things. like. Nobody wants that.
0: 905-645-3221, star This is 900-CHML, uh, the Chief's Town Hall, with uh, Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gertz. Vic, thank you for holding on. Welcome to the show, Vic.
5: Good morning, gentlemen.
6: Uh, I just have a question for the chief. Uh, the, the poor uh, young guy that got killed the other night, 17, and the uh, other guy is being charged with manslaughter. To me, uh, that don't fit the crime. Uh, When you kill somebody, you should be charged with murder. Manslaughter, all they're going to get is a couple years and they're back out on the streets again. And the young generation think it's a big joke with uh, going around and killing people. Uh, He should be charged with murder, and that's all it should be, not not manslaughter.
0: Thanks, Vic. I'll uh, let you hang up then, and I'll get the chief to respond. Thanks so much for the call.
2: Yeah, and thanks for the question, uh, and I understand your perspective. Our detective sergeants in homicide are the one who oversee these investigations, and of course they apply both the co- law and the case law and have to meet the standard both for, uh, you know, reasonable prospect of conviction. And, uh, you know, obviously I can't get into disclosure about the circumstances that does fall to the major crime section, and I believe uh, Detective Sergeant Tom has been pretty uh, straightforward. He just did a media conference yesterday on that and the set of circumstances. So. Really Really, it's a test in law. Um, you know I understand your perspective and certainly down in the states they take a different approach uh, but we have to look at as investigators what does the law say what are the prospects of conviction often we do it in consultation with the crown attorney and you have to let look at the totality of the circumstances of what happened and of course that comes out much later at trial in a very full uh, manner uh, obviously for the integrity of evidence um, which is why there's uh, not everything disclosed the first day uh, the investigation investigators, Investigators have to confirm what happened. You have alternate witnesses that may come forward and you don't want to taint um, what their perspective is on what they saw or did or heard. So uh, we certainly have faith in our uh, detective sergeants to do those investigations. They're very experienced investigators. And uh, as I say, the the law can be very convoluted there, but they have to look at proper application as opposed to, um, you know, if you lay a charge that isn't, technically supported by the law, uh, then the outcomes can be very different. You may lay a murder charge that gets uh, uh, reduced down to manslaughter and everybody goes, well, why did you lay that in the first place? So um, all I can say is they do turn their mind to it. They have to test the evidence and they have to look at the case law and the reasonable prospect of conviction.
0: Uh, Another murder, uh, as uh, he was just alluding to, um, and again, uh, from what we heard from Detective Tommy is that the brief clip we played here on the, the news here on CHML a couple of minutes ago, drug-related once again, and mm-hmm. and that seems to be a concurrent theme that goes right through an awful lot of the crimes you've talked
2: about recently. How do you get a handle on this? Well, and it's gun, money, drugs. Uh, they kind of all three go hand-in-hand, hand, or weapons in this case. Um, so, you know, many propose that, uh, drug use is a victimless crime, uh, but there's lots of money to be made. And when there's money to be made, then people bring weapons because somebody can take your money and then you want to be able to defend yourself against, it's not police that are coming to take that, although we will, um, it's uh, the bad guys and uh, we can see what's happening. Obviously, jurisdictionally, you know, we're not in a par, thankfully, with some of the other jurisdictions and it's not uh, slight to the other jurisdictions. Uh, I don't want the problems that some of the municipalities have right now or the cities. Um, our shootings currently are down to where they were in 2016. Uh, 2017 saw a spike and we made making a concerted effort both for drug seizures, weapon seizures, uh, focusing on those who will, I'll call it organized crime because a lot of people just want to say gangs, uh, but it's organized crime. And we've seen some of those results. Uh, We've done projects relative to this. Um, So, you know, it's a very convoluted issue. We certainly appreciate, you know, any disclosures, whether through Crime Stoppers or people who know uh, information, whether it's to solve crimes, or, and you've seen a number of the arrests that we've made. I mean, we seized a pound and a half of purple heroin the other day. That's a substantial amount of drugs going into the system. And we know the lethality of these drugs because they're mixing in uh, fentanyl or other composites. And we're seeing in the opioid crisis, uh, deaths as a result of this. So, um, you know, how do you get a handle on it? It's multifaceted, uh, but it requires the participation of the public to come forward with any information they might have. As you know, we're predictable in a sense. We're more than happy to act on information. We corroborate it, but we're more than happy to act on information and go make the arrests. I got about a minute left, but I mean, an example. Obviously, what we saw here with the, the
0: the murder the other day. This is not a downtown problem. As some people have characterized it, this is going on all over the
2: place. Well, sure. As is drug use, and we yeah. know that uh, relative to the deaths from opioids, uh, you know, there's no class of people. There's no specific occupation. Um, there's lots of issues with addictions and substance abuse, and then you get into the use of uh, you know opioids. Often, that's your prescription as a start, and then people from all walks of life end up. Uh, going out in the street to get their fix and as you say it can happen just about anywhere uh, but you know there's a kind of a cautionary piece drugs guns money they all go together
1: you're listening to the bill kelly show podcast on 900 chml
0: it's uh the chief's town hall hamilton chief of police eric gert is with us uh for the rest of the hour uh your questions your calls for the chief of police and uh let's uh, get back to the phones now jerry thanks so much for holding on how are you today i'm fine you great great go ahead for the chief
4: good i just like to ask him a couple of questions sure one, one is on king street west near westdale where they have two policemen or a police lady and a policeman i get a ticket there over a year ago and they're still there almost every day why are they not in places like mohawk upper paradise upper james where speeders now you get them where they don't even slow down at the red light they look left look ahead. Oh, not a cop around. Bang, right for the light. I almost get hit there so many times. And the other question is, when are they going to enforce the school zones on Mohawk Road? It's supposed to be 40 when the lights are flashing.
2: Yep.
4: If you ever see anybody going 40 there, pull them over and give them a Tim Hortons card or something.
2: Well, that would be me, actually, because I live up there, and I do the 40, but uh, I wouldn't be able to get the card. Uh, relative to your question, you got two of them there. Um, we actually deploy in a, both high-accident locations, but also where we have complaints, and that's a standing complaint, the one you've talked about. Uh, where, on King Street? Yeah, where you were visited. Um, both King Street and Main Street, both ways, because people tend to ramp it up to 80, 90K in some cases, in both those areas, but also King and Dundurn and Main and Dundurn, are two of the highest accident locations in the city routinely, and some of that is engineering, in terms of can they change the intersection because you're you're coming off the highway in many cases, you've got all, the, over. Yeah, exactly, you got all the exactly got lane changes and all that stuff going on, yes. and then the red light. So to your point, you know slowing down for the other locations, and we actually publish uh, to the divisions what the high accident locations are uh, on a monthly basis. And uh, actually, upper, on, upper Ottawa and Fennel tends to be one that appears uh, quite often, strangely enough. And I lived in that area. I really understand why that is, but it is. So we'll also deploy in those areas. So if you see them routinely, often it's because of that and standing complaints relative to school zone. And I actually have. I was quite happy to see one of our officers uh, on uh, Mohawk Road in those school zones where it's been dropped down to 40k. And the lights are on. And yes, uh, I found the same thing. People are doing 70, 80, never mind 50. Uh, So again, you know, uh, we have uh, stressed uh, traffic enforcement. It's always a leading complaint at our public sessions. And it's the stuff that really irritates people, to your point, because you say, um, you're endangering me because of the speed you're doing. This is a mindset that we've been trying to combat for a long time. Uh, I guess there's a sense of entitlement with vehicles and how fast you can go. uh, But you have a responsibility to drive safely. And uh, when you're doing 70-80K in a school zone, and they're school zones because they're near schools where kids are going to be. So uh, I agree with you in terms of the enforcement. It's just... Um, If it's not school zones and it's stop signs, if it's not stop signs and it's speeding on back roads, it's one of the leading complaints in the city and we uh, are out and enforcing and uh, continue to do that. And then, of course, we also get complaints because, um, you know, you're just tagging that area. So we try to be strategic in it and have the maximum effect. And again, it's supposed to be a deterrent as well.
4: I, I really don't know how you can enforce because on the mountain, what have you got on traffic? One car or two
2: No, no, it's all all the officers are uh, expected to do traffic enforcement when they have available time. And this is one of our challenges. We're just coming up to budget. Uh, the available time that they have due to calls for service has been diminishing. But there are expectations that when they're out on the road and see offenses that they will, in fact, do that. And we actually dedicate uh, specifically enforcement and complaint areas. And a lot of that's funneled to our beat crime managers who get all those calls, much like the one you made today. I and mean, some of
4: those guys are the same as everybody else. They're in the cruiser, the light's red, roll through. You don't roll through red lights. I agree. So if, your guy, if your guys are doing it, why not the other guy doing it?
2: Well, that's broader discussion, and we, in fact, do enforce it on our own officers uh, when we have red light offenses. And, yes, they get charged with that offense, just so you know.
0: Thanks so much, Jerry. Appreciate your call. Got to move on because I've got a lot of other folks that want to jump in here. Uh, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Hi, Frank. How are you this morning?
6: Uh, hi, Bill. I'm fine, thanks. you. Hello there, uh, Chief. Hi, Frank. Uh, we've talked before, and in we fact, we've talked about this before. <coughs> excuse me, about uh, cars that are going through, uh, you know, stop signs, not observing the the rule to stop. Now, yep. I live in the area in Ancaster, okay? And mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to put you on the spot here as to where I'm specifically referring to the corner where, where uh, Sulphur Springs Road meets Lovers Lane. You mm-hmm.
0: know, that's what, I well, I imagine. Yep.
6: Right? Uh, you've had uh, officers assigned there actually by my request over the years at at times. There once was a time when you, I think, I don't know how you do this, you had a survey done with some students as to uh, tabulating how many uh, cars they saw either roll through or go through uh, without stopping. That was said and done. And then, um, you know, it it seems to still persist. Um, I want to draw something to you here as a kind of perspective of request. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I've gone through some um, surveys in areas of the mid, uh, mid-city mid Westdale through um, in the Aberdeen, and the, you have some speed bumps put down into these streets where people do a shortcut and whip around. And I think the intent, the way I see it, is to slow them down so they don't just keep doing that on those side streets. Now, when you come to these stop signs that are almost you know regularly violated on uh it's 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 not an area that's really really busy and people have a tendency to just zip through and make turn corners what would you say would be the prospect of having some of these speed bumps the lower ones put before those stop signs so they indeed have to come to a stop <laughs> whether they like it or not do you think that's plausible or is it uh you know a in the sky. I'm going to hang up and let you remark on that if you don't mind, okay? Thanks, sure.
0: okay. thanks a lot,
6: thanks, Frank. Thanks, thanks
2: Frank. Frank. And and we do work closely with city traffic. Uh, city traffic's responsible for the engineering applications, speed bumps, the signs. I know that some of the councillors have been distributing signs that say, please slow down. You've now got an increase in radar detection equipment that just shows the speed and that seems to have an effect on people as well. So uh, to your point, it's a multifaceted approach, you know, not to oversimplify, but really at the root of this is the people driving. And they're the ones who are responsible for, we do the enforcement on it, traffic does the engineering, but at the end of the day, it's the person behind the wheel who's making the decision, whether it's impaired driving, speeding, stop signs. Uh, It's really just comes down to uh, being a responsible driver. Now, you know, obviously we've had discussions with people they're never happy with getting a ticket that's a couple hundred bucks and when it involves points, but our people do issue those. And uh, relative to traffic enforcement, that's something you'd certainly go to city traffic to uh, make the recommendations. And I do know that they study what's the best application. You know, one of the big things you've seen lately is the roundabouts because then you have basically a yield sign and you enter the intersection, have to yield to those in the intersection, but also if collisions occur, they're at an angle as opposed to T-bones, which are lead to more catastrophic injuries. So there's lots of ways to skin the cat here, so to speak. And uh, we certainly uh, will entertain other things other than enforcement to achieve the objective.
0: The roundabouts are an interesting idea. Uh, and I see more and more of them in other communities. Yep. I, I know when I was on city council back in the day, uh, th- I think the first one we had was on Lancaster up by the fire hall. Correct. And uh, Councillor Murray Ferguson at the time was uh, very involved, of course, with the neighborhood meetings. And uh, it was 50-50. We think it's a stupid idea, or so it's a great idea. Uh, I think they work. Uh, but I I, I, your point is well taken, Chief. When they don't work, it's usually because driver error or driver mm-hmm. mistake or driver arrogance. I don't know what it is. If everybody just does what they're supposed to do, those things work wonderfully well.
2: Correct. And, and it's the nature of the collisions, right? Because, again, they're at an angle. Uh, you think about professional drivers, uh, you know, on a racetrack and what I point out to people, they're all going the same direction. Um, we're not in regular traffic flow and whether it's a head on or a T-bone, that's where you get into serious injuries and it's just straight physics. Uh, but to your point where they can engineer it and say, all right, if we're going to have collisions, let's reduce the uh, personal injury in those and the amount of damage and to your point, if you just follow the rules, you'll be fine. Well, and it forces you to slow down, which is what I like about it. Yeah. Uh, We've got one, uh,
0: well, just uh, that border between Ancaster and Hamilton on Stone Church there. And I've I've never seen an accident there. And I use that one frequently because everybody tends to, I got to slow down because I got to see what's going on here.
2: Yeah. And and I mean, to Frank's point, you know, creative thinking about how to avoid it. uh, That's a better approach in my view. And I've talked about it before in terms of engineering solutions versus just going out and handing out tickets. Um, You know, I'd rather have the engineering application avoid the collision at all.
0: Back to your phone calls as uh, we get into the uh, stretch run here on uh, Chiefstown Hall. Hi, Tony. How are you doing today?
3: Oh, well, not too bad, Bill. I yep. hope everybody's feeling good in this nice, warm weather. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I got the sarcasm. Okay. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Tony.
3: Uh, on the uh, racial uh, carding and stuff like this that's going on, uh, you hear a little bit about Toronto, uh, 9 and 70, and so on and so forth. Um, as a person that has confronted some uh, people and uh, because of whatever reasons uh, at work and the last thing they do just because you you catch them doing something wrong they holler uh, racism Uh, and uh, there was an incident here that uh, I heard uh, I observed that there was a dispute about uh, uh, a parking area in somebody's business and uh, a person confronted these people and the last thing they did, they called her a racist. So she got cheesed off, went home, got her husband, and brought her husband back. And she was a blonde and, and fair-skinned, and he was uh, really dark-skinned. Now, with, with this kind of stuff that's going on, and it seems like it's, oh, uh, you're bothering me, so I want to get rid of you, so I'll holler racism and stuff like this. Uh, can there not be some uh, consequences for false accusations?
2: Yeah, and you've, you've entered an area there, whether it's a civil dispute or otherwise. Uh, from a police perspective, and you know the legislation that came in, it is uh, the collection of information in certain circumstances, prohibitions and duties. That's the actual name of it. So we applied the law and we apply it fairly. Uh, we're certainly aware of the impact of uh, racism. And of course, we don't condone anything like that when the service, haven't for years. And our officers are obligated to apply the law fairly. Relative to people's perspective and what they will think, I certainly can't control that. But, you know, when you talk about somebody going to get their husband, which will probably lead to escalation of the dispute, I wouldn't recommend that. Relative to, uh, you know, racial epithets and accusations, I don't think that's particularly helpful either. You know, stick to the facts, stick to what has happened and the events. Uh, Getting into, you know, racism is racism. Whoever's applying bias, bias is bias. There's, in my view, no such thing as reverse. It just is either racial bias or bias. So we certainly don't condone that. And the escalation on that basis, we don't condone either. Um, And relative to our own service, uh, we're obligated to follow the law, and we do so.
0: Thanks so much for the call. Let's uh, get uh, right back to the phones. Hi, Fred. How are you doing this morning?
4: Very good this morning. Thank you very much.
0: Go ahead for the chief.
4: Yes, chief. uh, I would like to know, why isn't the officers walking the beat? I used to, years ago when I was a kid, I don't see too many people walking the beat. they got a car, and you got a budget coming up, maybe you can save on gas and stuff like that, and uh, have people more involved in the community (laughs) by walking.
2: Yeah, and actually, one of the uh, criticisms we've got is we have an action unit, which does exactly that. They're uh, uh, deployed either on foot or on bicycle, and the idea is both high visibility and presence, not just in the downtown core, but in areas where we either have high crime or a particular issue going on. Mm -hmm. We also have the mounted patrol unit, and they're out, um, obviously, on horseback, which is a little different. Uh, I just
4: want to ask you one more question. Sure. Uh, On concession, plus at Lime Ridge Mall, used to have... Uh, stations there, where officers
5: were like. Community
2: policing. Would, community. They, they, it was you called. Stopped yeah. A lot of that. Yeah, the community policing centers, what we found both from the public and our officers is they uh, were starting to go out to the community as opposed to set up a station where they stop in. Um, we have found that more effective both for whether it's seatbelts, Uh, contact with the public, as they say, with the action unit. The idea is that they go, and I think you would appreciate this, Fred, go out and speak to people. Uh, You know, as a skill set, it's very handy. As the uh, flow for information on crimes or what's happening, it's good. Uh, I think what you're alluding to is the days of, uh, I'll go far back as kind of Andy Griffith, where, you know, the police knew the public and the public knew the police. Where we can do that, we will. obviously, in areas like Flamborough, you've got huge geographic areas. Uh, but we also encourage our officers, to get out the car and go out and talk to people. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, it's very handy when you get into that modality to get information coming in. Um, and it, uh, it's just a good public relations from people get to see us as people. We get to meet you and then you become often uh, quite often, uh, helpers for us to do our job. So we support it. It's, it's a mix. We've got to still have mobile response for, uh, whether it's domestic violence, which is one of our leading calls disturbances and traffic um, but we certainly support that where we can
0: all right uh running out of time here i want to get brian in, who's been waiting quite a long time brian thanks for your patience go ahead for the chief
5: hi yeah i'm calling about uh schedule one inspections and commercial drivers um if a if a commercial driver driving a transport truck gets pulled over and the officer wants to perform a schedule one inspection now i can't find anything on the books that says a driver must help The officer perform the inspection the driver has to have his pre-trip inspection and his hours and and there's a bunch of paperwork that the driver must have and must be able to produce but is the driver uh obligated to help the officer perform the the schedule one inspection
2: yeah, and you know, uh, I don't have the background in terms of MTO inspections, and often when we do our uh, joint enforcement e- uh, efforts, we often rely on uh, the specific abilities of the Ministry of Transport. We do have some officers who are trained, and through the course of history, have had some of our mechanics I don't have a specific answer to your question. I do know that relative to, uh, you know, air brakes or things like that, it may require the driver to depress the pedal or pull the switch or whatever they do. Um, But really, I think your question would be better directed to the Ministry of Transport. Um, Our officers are, are, you know, obviously have to be multifaceted in terms of criminal application of law. Uh, highway traffic application law, but now you're getting into inspections on uh, large transports, and we rely on the ministry and in, in their specific training and abilities. Quite frankly, I don't want to start having our officers do all that role too, uh, so they, we will often call, call upon the ministry of transport to assist us with those kind of inspections, so I don't have yeah, a specific I, answer I for you.
5: I wouldn't want a situation to happen where a driver is like, hey, I'm not obligated to help you, and now they're being arrested for like not helping an officer like because i can't find anything on the books that says a a, a driver must do it
2: yeah Uh, but i i I can tell you from an arrest authority i'm not aware of a specific arrest authority where driver has not helped that you will be arrested i'm just not aware of it on the books we do go over all arrest authorities that'd be a new one for me
0: even when they have those truck inspections within the city limits that's the mto that does that Yes. I, we, and there's usually an officer on site, but they're not actually doing the
2: inspection, are they? Correct. We work with the MTO as a joint, uh, you know, they're strained for resources. And quite frankly, uh, for me to send people on those courses would be cost prohibitive. And really, it's a ministry uh, uh, ministry responsibility for that. We, we assist them, obviously, but, you know, you're getting into pretty granular stuff. But again, I'm not aware of an arrest authority for I didn't help you depress the brake pedal or pull the air brake or whatever.
0: Uh, we got a minute left here. We haven't even talked about cannabis. I think it's the first time in about six uh, town halls that, w- that hasn't come up yet. But, D- uh, did something w- happen with uh, cannabis? Well, there was that. Uh, <laughs> that was that. You must have read that and heard it on the radio. I here. have, yeah. Uh, the, the concern was dispensaries. Now, I understand yes. that those numbers are dwindling now because of some of the work that you're doing. But the other element to this, I guess, is one of the provincial regulations that if you want a license, you've got to close up your dispensary. They're not going to give them to people that are operating illegally. That's correct.
2: And one of the things we're working through is, you know, and I know the deputy has spoken to this. He has the lead on this portfolio as does our investigative services vice and drugs is looking at applying new laws making sure that we're doing so effectively because if you get bad case law because you didn't do it the right way that's not a good message uh, we have continued our enforcement on dispensaries, and in fact, prior to the legislation on October 17th, because I was paying attention, is uh, we did, uh, you know, 53 uh, warrants at dispensaries, and unfortunately, because the case law was not in place, uh, 83 of those were disposed of through. Uh, uh, the occupants having to keep the peace well that's not really what i'm looking for you know that the fines have increased both for landlords and uh, uh holders of the property but also those found within uh, we're trying to make sure that those uh, provincial regulations because there's both a federal cannabis act and a provincial cannabis act we're laying the pro- uh, charges appropriately we want to look at maximum impact uh, to make this uh, not a financially feasible operation to your point i think the uh provincial government is pretty clear on they're not going to be providing licenses to those who've been operating legally Uh, We're out of time.
0: Thanks so much for everybody who is uh, taking part in the program today. We'll do this again in a few weeks. Uh, Not before Christmas, though. So, yeah. uh, Are you guys? Do you still do the uh, the hymn or the carol sing? We don't uh,
2: actually. It ended a couple years back. Uh, Yeah, you should. (laughs) Yeah, some fine voices down there, and we'd be resurrect that. Be happy to sing along if carolers come by the station. We'll be happy to participate. Uh,
0: Uh, if you just get the mood, you want to sing a Christmas carol,
2: just knock on the chief's door, and I'm sure he'll accommodate (laughs) you. Anyway, Merry Christmas to uh, to you and uh, everybody in Hamilton Police Station. Thank you, and you.